0: Uh, to Luke chapter two, and like I said, just keep your thumb there. Uh, I'm gonna be referencing a lot of scriptures this morning, um, and and you'll see how it ties in at the very end. But as we open up the Bible, as we were here this morning, right on Christmas morning, and, and man, we gather together uh, year after year today, and really year after year, right, with family, with loved ones, um, uh, to celebrate the birth of the Savior of the world, Jesus, who's known as the Christ, and so. We see that Christmas, man, more than a holiday, more than more than what we know uh, uh, it to it to be. It's uh, such an impactful day. I mean, so much so that we even use the birth of Christ to date our history. Have you ever thought about that? You, we reference history as in BC and AD, right, before the birth of Christ, and Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. And so, it's such an impactful, such an important day in our history, right? The the birth of our Savior. And so we see that the Gospels introduce us to a little baby named Jesus who was born in a small shepherd town called Bethlehem. There was a prophecy given in the book of Micah. The prophet Micah says, hey, out of all of Judea, says the smallest city says, out of you, O Bethlehem, is going to come the Savior of the world. Alright, So we see that the Gospels tell us about this baby named Jesus who was born in this small shepherd town called Bethlehem. But we see that the story doesn't begin there. Right, we celebrate Christmas and we, show, we, we see our nativity scenes and we celebrate the birth of Christ. But really, the story began way before that. I mean, years back, thousands of years back, uh, from the very beginning. I'm taking it back to Genesis, right? We're told in Genesis that God created the heavens and the earth Then the first chapters of Genesis. And then Genesis 127 tells us that God created man in his own image. It says, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then we're told that God created Adam, and, and as He created Adam, He was a perfect, perfect, sinless being. All right? God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. We're told that God breathed His own breath into, into Adam and gave him life. And so Adam was the first of all creation. All right? And the word Adam literally means man in the Hebrew. And so we see that, that He was a perfect, perfect, sinless being. He, didn't, he was innocent. Right? He didn't know sin. All He knew was just, uh, God is Creator there in the garden. it was. There. It's a beautiful scene. Now, we see that God created us, right, through Adam, and of course, came the, the whole race of the earth. But we see that God created us, not because He needed someone to, to worship Him, or not because He needed someone to entertain Him, or not because He was lacking love, or not because He was lacking attention. Right? I've heard people say, oh, God created us, because He needed somebody to, to love Him, or because He needed somebody to worship Him. But not so. Right? There's, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels in heaven that are worshiping around the, th- the throne 24-7. God doesn't need any of us to worship Him. God doesn't need any one of us to, to love Him. He doesn't need us. Right? Because within uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exists perfect love. And even if none of us were here, and even if, if no believers were on the earth to love God, man, within that Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit exists perfect love. And so God is perfect. And to say that he needs anything, to say that he needs attention, to say that he needs our love, to say that he needs our, atten- our worship, to say that he needs our lives, would make him imperfect, right? And it would mean that God is lacking something and, and he no longer is God anymore because now he's like us, right? We're needy. We need things. We're not fulfilled. But God is perfect. He's complete. He's whole. And so God didn't need somebody to worship him, right? Uh, interesting that the book of Revelation, there in Revelation 4.11, tells us that God created us mankind it says for his good pleasure that's it you ever want to know why you were created Revelation 4.11 says that we were created for his good pleasure meaning that God created us so that we can know him right it pleased God to create us so that we can have a relationship with him with God the Father with our creator that's why you were created with something in your heart Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men Except that nobody knows what God does from beginning to end, right meaning that man in the heart of every single human being, there is a, a, a need for eternity there 's a need to know God there 's a need to know uh, their creator in the hearts of every human being i don 't care who I talk to on the street if somebody says i don 't believe in God i don't need God i don 't desire God, I know that that, that they 're lying because the Bible tells us that God created every single one of us with eternity in our hearts it 's what makes us, makes us different from all other creation right we don 't see dogs or animals going around there thinking, man, I wonder what's going to happen when I die. I wonder who created me. I wonder what this feeling is inside of me. No, we're special. God created us in His own image, meaning that He gave us the ability to love, like God loves, but to a lesser extent, right? To be personal, to be all these different things that that God is, right? We can be all those things to a lesser extent because He created us that way. And so we see as we're there back in the garden and God creates Adam, then He creates Eve out out of Adam's rib, and we see that they have perfect fellowship, perfect union with God there in the garden. It's beautiful. It's marvelous, right? There's no sin. There's no uh, destruction. There's no suffering. It's just, man, it's just a couple and, and, and their perfect relationship with God, unhindered because of sin. Imagine that, wake up in, waking up in the morning to the presence of God, to the tangible presence of God. Hey, God, good morning. And just having this one-on-one conversation with God, it was beautiful. But then we're told that something happens. Adam and Eve sin, they sin against God, they obey Satan, they give in to the temptation of Satan, right? They disobey God, and, and as a result, Adam forfeits dominion over all creation to Satan. When God created man, when God created Adam, he tells him in Genesis 1, he says, it says that God gave dominion over everything in the world to man. Meaning that he gave him power, he gave him authority over everything in the earth. He says, over the fish, over the over the animals on the on the field, over the animals in the ocean. He says, over everything. He says, it's yours. It's like if God gave Adam the keys to the world. Here you go, man, they're yours. You have power. You have authority. You have dominion. But we see that when Adam sinned and he obeyed Satan, he forfeited that dominion. He forfeited the authority now to Satan. And so at that moment that Adam sinned, death and suffering enters the world now. No longer is it a perfect paradise. No longer is it Eden. But now everything is corrupt because of disobedience and really because of sin. Sin enters the world. God had warned Adam and Eve and they said, Look man, you could eat of everything that's in this garden except for this one fruit. Because in the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. Satan's lie and Satan's temptation to Adam and Eve or to eat first was, That's not true. God's just saying that because He doesn't want you to be like Him. If you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God. She gives into the temptation. Then she gives to her husband to eat. He's right there just watching it all go down. Doesn't say anything. They both partake of the fruit. They both sin and disobey God. All right. And as a result, again, sin comes into the world now. Something that, that, that was never before introduced into the world. They had this perfect fellowship, perfect union with God. And now as a result, the sin is inherited in each and every one of us. Right? It's something that, that's, in, that's in our nature, right? stronger than, uh, than, 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 a, than a trait or a gene, stronger than a eye color, stronger than the, than the, hair of your, uh, the color of your hair, stronger than, than uh, certain characteristics of your face. This sin is inherited from human being to human being ever since the fall, ever since what happened here in the garden. Right? And so ever since then, every single human being who's been born has been uh, born with an inherited sin. Right? It's what causes our hearts to go astray. It's what causes our hearts to turn to things other than God to fulfill that need inside our hearts for eternity. But we see that God, seeing the fallen state of man. He didn't want to leave man in that condition. And so He makes him a promise. Right? And so we have the first ever prophecy or the first ever foretelling of a coming Messiah. Which the word Messiah literally means a sent one or a deliverer or a redeemer. And so we have the first ever promise... Of a coming Messiah. There in Genesis 3.15. And God after Adam and Eve have sinned. He speaks to Satan. And he tells Him this. In Genesis 3.15 he says. I will cause hostility. Between you and the woman. And between your offspring. And her offspring. And he says. He will crush your head. But you will bruise his heel. And so we have there in the book of Genesis. Chapter 3. The very first prophecy. The very first foretelling. The very first promise. Of a coming Messiah. And God's promise to, to Adam and Eve was that, hey, one day through the seed of the woman, through the seed of, of Eve, there was going to come one who was going to crush the head of that serpent, meaning completely obliterate him, right, crush him to pieces. And, and in the process, his, bruise, his heel was going to be bruised. Speaking of Christ, we'll get into that later. And so we see that God promised through the lineage of this one family, Adam and Eve, a Savior was going to come. And the Savior was going to come to save mankind of their sin and reverse the curse that was placed on them because of disobedience. I was reading a story the other day uh, about something that happened in Texas. A little girl, I think she was 8 years old. And uh, there was this hole, like an 8-inch hole on the ground that, that led to a well that had been covered up years before nobody knew about it. One day she just disappears. everyone was looking for her. And, and as they go out into the field, they discover this little hole and they hear Christ. And So she had fell through this little hole... And, and she fell into a well, right? And so what does the community do, man? Right away, they don't wait, oh, well, she fell. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll just cheer her on from up here. And we'll, hopefully she gets back up. No, what they did, everyone gathered together for about 52 hours. They all struggled. They did what they needed to do to bring this little girl out of this pit, out of this well. Right? And that's what God did. Man, when humanity fell into this well of sin, and God went down, in, down there himself. Right? And so God took on humanity in the form of, of Jesus Christ, right? And he came down to save us. And so the Bible tells us, again, that, that God promised this deliverer was going to come through this one family of Adam and Eve. And as we follow this lineage through the book of Genesis, through the book of Exodus, through the whole Old Testament, we see that the whole story, right? We're celebrating Christmas today and we see that the whole story of the Bible is about the birth of Christ. It's about this one coming Messiah who was promised years before, from the very beginning. It's all about Jesus. And if, if you read the Bible with that in mind, that it's all about Jesus, you could be reading in any book of the, of the Bible and you'll know, all right, it's all about Jesus. And it, it'll become easier to understand if you're in Genesis, if you're in Leviticus, if you're in, in Amos, if you're in Psalms, if you're in whatever book in Daniel, whatever book of the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, knowing that it's all about Jesus, again, it's going to redirect your, your, your understanding, you know, all right, it's all part of the same plan. It's all part of the same story. And so through this family, through this lineage, and the Old Testament, uh, we're told that if you follow it, right, you can read it, and, and it leads to another man named Abraham, who was the father of all the Jews. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 sons, one of those named uh, Judah. Right? We see that God preserved this, this family in Egypt in, in the form of slavery for 400 years. They come out a multitude of people. If you guys have been with us on Wednesday nights, you'll, 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 you're you you familiar with this. We see that God preserved this family in Egypt and they came out, man, they went in just about 50 something deep. They came out, man, millions of them. And so they come out and God has preserved this family. And so we see that that Jacob's 12 sons become what we know as the nation of Israel. And the descendants of of that one son, Judah specifically, became the tribe through where all the kings of Israel would come from. Now, as you follow that lineage, later on down, you follow follow, uh, all the kings. There was one king named Saul. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Eventually he was cast away because of his disobedience. And then there came a king to the nation of Israel, the greatest king that they've ever had. A man by the name of King David. And King David, we're told, was a man after God's own heart. Even though he messed up, even though he failed God. Even though he was even on the run from, from from the presence of God. We're told that that he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he was he even though he messed up, he repented quick. And we're told that to King David was given a promise during 2 Samuel 7.12. And this was a promise given to King David. The story goes like this, King David one day after just conquering everything that he could conquer, after attaining everything that he could attain, riches, wealth, everything that he could imagine. He's sitting on his throne one day, he's looking around at his huge palace, and he says, huh, something's off. He says, I'm sitting here in my huge palace, I have all this wealth, I have all these possessions, and yet we're doing church in a little tent. We're doing church in a little tabernacle, which was literally just a a, a ragtag tent the place where they would go meet God was just this tabernacle that was, that was, uh, that was made there in the book of Leviticus and, and Numbers were reading about it. And so even to the days of David, they still had this little tent where they would go meet God. At. And so he's looking around, he says, man, he says, I have all these riches, I have horses, I have, you know, chariots, I have all these things. And yet God is still living in this little tent. So he says, I know what I'll do. I'm gonna build God a house. And so he purposes in his heart to build God a huge temple. He consults one of the prophets at the time. His name is Nathan. He says, hey, Nathan, I have a great idea. He says, look, I'm full of riches. I'm dwelling in my big house. And, and, and God is living in this little tent. I'm going to make God a house. And the prophet Nathan says, hey, that's a great idea. David, go right on, man. You got my support. The prophet Nathan goes home and God speaks to him. He says, hey, Nathan, you spoke out of turn. He says, David can't build me a house because his hands are too bloody. He's a man of war. And so Nathan goes back and he tells David he says hey David God said no you can't build him a house but he said this he said your son is going to build it, build him a house and he gives him this prophecy in second in Samuel chapter seven he says when your days are fulfilled again speaking to King David he says when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers meaning when you when you die basically he says I will set up your seed after you this is God speaking to David and he says who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so in this we have what's known as a dual prophecy. And so God was speaking to David concerning one, his son Solomon, who was going to build him a little physical house, a temple. We know what we know as, as the first temple of the Jews that was built. But, he, but in that same prophecy, he gives them kind of a, a, a look into the future. And he says to him, he says, I'm going to establish his kingdom Forever, All right? If you're familiar with history, we know that that the second king, that this temple was eventually destroyed, and then King Herod built, uh, 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 well, he beautified the second temple. in 70 A.D., it was destroyed by the uh, by the Roman general Titus. And to this day, the Jews don't have a temple, and they don't have a kingdom, right? They don't have a king over them. But yet, God made David a promise. He says, "Look, he says, I'm gonna raise up someone from your lin, from your lineage, from your seed, and he's gonna." be king of Israel forever and so we know that this is speaking of someone else right it wasn't Solomon it wasn't any of those kings at that time and so we see that both the gospel of Matthew and Luke give us uh, what's known as a genealogy which is a, a family tree which traced Mary and Joseph back to King David one of them even traces them all the way back to, to Adam and then Luke and Luke: 131 says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. This is the promise given to Mary. It says, And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the son of the highest. It says, And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob or the house of Israel forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so we see that this promise that was given years back to King David was actually concerning Jesus. Because the angel Gabriel, as he's speaking to, to Mary, he says, look, this, th- this son that you're going to have, he's the one, he's the one who's going to uh, sit on the throne of his father David. And he, of his kingdom, there will be no end. And we see that these promises will be not just fulfilled when Jesus came on earth, but also they have a, a, a an eternal fulfillment. In the book of Revelation, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, tells us, it says that the kingdom's of this world have become the kingdoms of our lord and of his christ and he shall reign forever and ever and so again we see that this promise wasn't just for a momentary time while jesus was here on earth it wasn't for uh, an earthly kingdom but really it was looking into the future into eternity and so this this was a promise given all the way into eternity of christ and with that i'm going to read to you from the gospel of luke chapter two another big introduction You'll see why. <laughs> and in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, it says this. It says, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing in Syria. And so all went to be registered before everyone to his own city. It says, and Joseph also went up to Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David it says to be registered with Mary his betrothed wife who was with child it says and so it was that while they were there the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son it says and she brought forth her firstborn son and she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn and so we're introduced now into to Joseph and to Mary. And we're told that in those days. Right, we're told that in those days. That Mary again she had already received the vision and the message from the angel Gabriel. Look, you're gonna conceive a son, even though she was a virgin. We're told that he was gonna be a child of the Holy Spirit. Hey, bro, can you give me a water? <coughs> he was gonna be conceived of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't gonna be it wasn't gonna be through carnal means. Thank you, Can you open it for me? You're good, Sorry, guys. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And then it says this in verse 8. It says, Now that we're in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so all these years go by, man. Thousands of years that this promise was given to, to Adam and Eve thousands of years go by and 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 as these thousands of years go by man a new generation comes up with that with that knowledge of man god is one day going to bring a deliverer right god is one day going to bring a king an eternal king and this is the day that everyone has been waiting for this is the day that all history that all humanity has been waiting for the birth of this king and so we're told that again there was these shepherds who were living on the field they were keeping watch over their flock by night and it says, verse 9, Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before him, and the glory of the Lord shone around him, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to him, Hey, don't be afraid. He For behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, meaning good news, which will be to all people. Says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Man, so this is amazing. This is the promise that, that people have been waiting for for thousands of years. Keep in mind that in the time that, 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 that this message came to, to Mary in the time that, that she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Man, there was a, a religious system already going on. We're introduced in Luke chapter 1 to a priest by, by the name of, of Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth. Right? The, the parents of John the Baptist. And we're told that Zechariah was his turn to go burn incense in the temple when, when he got this message from the angel. And said, hey, look, you're, you're gonna, your wife is going to bear a son in her old age, right? a miracle baby, John the Baptist. And so keep in mind that there was a religious system already going on. There were scribes, there were Pharisees, there were teachers of the law, there were lawyers of the law. Man, There were people studying the scriptures and, and they would have known what these scriptures, the same scriptures that you and I have. They would have known, all right, uh, we should be expecting a king soon. Right? But notice that when the message came yeah, It didn't go to any of the religious guys It didn't go to the Pharisees who were in the, in the temple It didn't go to the scribes who were uh, copying the law It didn't go to, 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 the, to, the, to the Sadducees To any of the religious leaders Man, they completely missed it right? But instead, it, the message came to these shepherds Who were a couple hundred miles away These religious guys were about six miles away From Bethlehem to Jerusalem Is about six miles And yet the message came to these shepherds Who were way out there in the field Probably a couple hundred miles away that's crazy, right? Because we see that, that that the heart of the people that day, man, they weren't seeking God, right? They weren't waiting for His promises. I mean, God hadn't spoken to them for about 400 years because their heart was wicked, man. They had turned from the ways of the Lord. But I love that the Word came to these shepherds, and man, they were willing to make the huge journey, the long journey to go and to see this baby, right? To see uh, uh, the Christ being born. Well, six miles away, here's the religious leaders, and they continued doing their religious duties, and then they, they missed him completely, right? They never even realized, hey, man, the Savior is here. The King is here. The Messiah is here, right? And, 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 man, that still goes on today. Where, man, the Lord will reach us when we're far from him. I mean, I don't know about you guys, man, but, but for me, man, the Lord got a hold of my life when I was far from him. Man, my life was going completely the opposite way from God. I wasn't seeking God at all. I feel like I was a shepherd. I was like, man, I was like 100 miles away from God. And God says, hey, look, and he tugged at my heart. All right, and the Lord will do that, man. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus leaves the 99 to go after that one that's lost. The one sheep that's lost. And that's us. And so His message came to these shepherds who were out there in the field. They traveled hundreds of miles to go see this baby. And then it says in verse 15, it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us not go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste. Man, they hurried up. And they found Mary and Joseph. <coughs> And they found a the baby lying in a manger. And now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. meaning, Man, as soon as they get there to the manger, they're like, man, it's true. It's true. What the angel said is true. They realized, like, man, this is what the angels told us. Go to this, go, go to Bethlehem. You'll see in the end that there's a baby lying in a manger. It's not a normal thing. It's not something that happens every day. So they get there and they realize it's true. And they begin to tell Mary and Joseph, hey, we got this message from these angels. They told us to come over here and that we would find you in the end in a manger. And so they're just excited. And it says in verse 18, that all those who heard it, that they marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. It says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Amazing. And so, you know, what we often overlook and as we're celebrating Christmas, what we often overlook, you know, during this time is that this baby that we celebrate every Christmas Man this baby uh, He didn't stay a baby You know he grew up And he died And it wasn't a normal death He was betrayed He was betrayed by those closest to him He was beaten He was bruised He was hung on a cross His life was prophesied about uh, Thousands of years before While he was here on earth Man thousands would gather to him To hear his teachings Many would follow him We're told he had 70 disciples But he had 12 close ones But at the time of his his crucifixion, man, no one was there. It was was some women and the Apostle John who were there. Out of all those people who followed him while he was here on earth. And so this baby that we celebrate every year, again, man, he grew up. He lived. And then he died a horrible death. But we see that this had to happen in order for God's promises, which he gave way back in the book of Genesis like we read, chapter 3. We're told that this had to happen in order for God's promises to be fulfilled it's interesting because I'm going to tie it all in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And he tells them this. It says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Right, we read that in Genesis. God made Adam out of the dust of the earth. He breathed the breath of life into him. And so Paul says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam, referring to Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. And the first man was of the earth. Right? He was made of the dust, speaking of Adam. And the second man, he, says, he is the Lord from heaven, speaking about Jesus. He says, and as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And so, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, then we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. And so Paul all this is to say this that Paul uses this 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 phrase you know the first Adam and the last Adam. And he he uses the phrase the first Adam to describe you know, Adam there in the garden in the book of Genesis. Right? And he uses the second, the last Adam to to refer to Jesus. And again he says, as was the man of dust, Adam, he says, Man, so are all of us, right? All of us are made of dust, like Adam, like Adam. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Amen. I that's why Jesus came to give us that eternal life. Right, our our lives don't end when we're in the ground and when we're, man, our bodies decay into dust. All right. But Jesus, the last Adam, came to give us eternal life. Jesus being a spirit. All right. We look at the pictures of Jesus and when we were about his ministry. But keep in mind that Jesus didn't always exist in a bodily form. Right, he had to take on humanity. He had to take on humanity. But before that, he existed as God the Son, but in spirit. And so Jesus had to take on humanity. He had to take on a body, take on uh, human limitations. Right, it's, the theological term for it is called the hypostatic union. He was 100% man, 100% God. Right, in his deity, he could command angels to come at, at, at an instant. At his, in his deity he could feed thousands and thousands with just a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread right in his deity he could heal multitudes of, of any sickness man of blindness of, uh, of deafness of, of lameness in their feet whatever it was but in his humanity he got tired in his humanity he had to sleep in his humanity he had to eat in his humanity man he felt every single one of those blows to his body as he was hanging on the cross and so we see that Jesus is this last Adam that Paul is describing here all right, meaning that he's the last one to be born sinless. And so Jesus and Adam and, and Adam have this in common. That one, they were uh, born sinless. Right? Adam was born without sin. He had this relationship with God. When Jesus came onto the earth, man, he was sinless. He died sinless. That's the only difference between Adam and Jesus. That Adam died a sinful man. And Jesus, he died, right? A sinless, the sinless Lamb of God. But really, he conquered death. Because he died without sin, he conquered death. We're told in Genesis that, that the consequence of their disobedience was death. God said, hey, man, in the, in the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to die. All right? And so death came in as a result of sin. The Bible tells us in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Meaning, man, if I go work at, at, the, at Amigos Market for eight hours or 40 hours a week, at the end of the week, they're going to pay me a wage. Meaning, they're going to pay me what I deserve for my hours. All right? And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death meaning that because of our sinful lives man, what we deserve is death meaning this eternal separation from God but Jesus came he took on humanity he, he bore our sins on the cross he died a sinless, of the sinless son of God so that through him man we now inherit that sinlessness not that we are sinless but our sins are forgiven completely right he, man, he took him at the cross and so we see that God needed to become a man in order to save mankind right it needed to be God it needed to be God. So he needed to become a man to save mankind. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of Mary and Bethlehem, the little baby in the manger, spotless and sinless. In the book of John, we're told that, that when John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus, he points at him and says, look, he says, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the earth. And so we see that Jesus, through his obedience to God uh, and being crucified, we're told that he was obedient even to the point of death. Man, he was obedient even to the cross. We're told that as he did that, as his obedience to God was, man, uh, the cross, there was this transaction that took place at the cross. And so because Adam sinned and, and forfeited authority and dominion to Satan and even death, now when Jesus died on the cross, man, he took back what Adam had handed over to Satan in the garden, right? That's why God needed to become a man. Because it was a transaction between man and Satan. God became man. And so now there's no more death, right? I mean, there's physical death, but there's no eternal death. And no death in life. Uh, there's dominion, there's authority and power. Now all these things belong to Jesus. Where they at one point belong to the enemy, belong to Satan. Man, now they belong to Jesus. How beautiful is that? That man, that death belongs to the Lord. There's a song that says, Beautiful in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. How often can you say that the death of somebody is beautiful? All of us here have, you know, at one point or another lost someone close to us. And, and in the moment, it's not a beautiful thing. But when you look at it through the lenses of eternity, you realize, man, that, that person's walking with the Lord. Then God says this, that beautiful is a sight, is a death, beautiful in the sight of the Lord is a death of one of his saints. Why? Because now death belongs to Jesus. It's It's his. And so Jesus, through his obedience, again, he, he took back that authority and dominion, death, life. It all belongs to him now. Even the curse. There in back in Genesis, in Genesis 3.18, we're told that one of the, the results or one of the consequences of, of, of Adam and Eve's sin, there were many consequences. Death. And then we're told that also uh, Adam was going to be working out by the sweat of his brow. Meaning, Man, you're going you're gonna to work hard now for the rest of your life to get what you need. We're told that even uh, the pain in childbirth was a, was a result of sin. But even this, I don't know if you guys ever thought about this. There in Genesis 3.18, we're told that one of the results of the curse on the earth was that the earth would bring forth thorns. Meaning that there in the garden, hey, you can look at a rose bush and they had no thorns. There was no such thing as thorns. Me and Mike were cutting the tree in my in my in my front yard the other day. And he's got these thick old gloves, right? And I'm right there grabbing these things. And, and there's a huge pile and I grab it. He's like, wait, hold on, bro. It's got thorns. I didn't realize, but I grabbed them like with one hand. I grabbed, them I'm like, oh, and it was stuck to my, to my, I'm going like this trying to shake it off. He's like, hey, they got thorns, dude, you got you need gloves. But imagine that in the garden, right, that wasn't an issue. Thorns came as a result of sin. Interesting that Jesus being the savior of the world and he bore the sin of the world even on his head. All right, we're told that when Jesus was crucified, the Roman soldiers, what did they do? They mocked him, they put a, 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 a robe on him, They're like, all right, man, you think you're the king of the Jews? Here you go, king. Well, he's all beaten and bloody and bruised. And then we're told that they made a a crown of thorns. And they placed it on his head. Man, bearing the curse that was placed on earth all the way back in the book of Genesis. There it is death. Literally bearing it on his head. The crowns. The crown of thorns. Right? And really, this is what we celebrate. Like Christmas. Man, the the birth of our Savior who, through his obedience to the Lord, and now we have this 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 access to God the Father. The book of Hebrews tells us, invites us. It says, hey, we now come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Now we don't got to hide from God. When Adam and Eve sinned, right after they sinned, we're told that God was walking in the garden. He says, hey, Adam, where are you? Adam was Adam and Eve were hiding. It's not that God didn't know where they were. He knew, but he wanted to get a confession out of Adam and Eve. And they come out like we're hiding because we're naked. God says, well, who told you you're naked? He says, did you sin? Did you eat of the tree? He's like, yeah. We're deceived. Then they begin the blame game. All right, man. But for us, now yeah, we've sinned. But because of the birth of Christ, because of his of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, man, we don't have to hide. Right, there's no shame when we come to the Father. And we point we point out each other's sins. Hey, man, I, come on. Do I know you? I know you did this. I know you did that. I've known you since when you were young, this, that, the other. We point out each other's flaws. But the Lord doesn't do that. All right, we're right. We're now invited to come into the presence of God, man. With, with full boldness just like you would do when you get home get home open the door you don't even need a key you can go into the back door right you feel right at home sit on the couch take your shoes off man I'm bold at home because I know this is my home this is where I belong and that's what that that's the invitation that we have now to come to the throne of grace because of what Jesus did on the cross beautiful isn't it and so I encourage you guys as uh, we just again uh, just study the life of Christ his birth his death and resurrection man don't let this year go by you know, in shame. A lot of us man, we are Christians, right? We believe in the Lord, but there's that time where where as we're walking with the Lord, we're kinda still I mean, man, we're we're kinda fearful of just going all in. Because there's that, that, that sense of shame. Like God, ah, no, but you know what? I got this lingering on my back. And Jesus said, Hey man, that thing you have lingering on your back, it's hung on the cross. You don't gotta walk with that no more. Right? We we try to put it back on ourselves and Jesus says, Hey man, I think thing's hung to the cross. Walk in boldness. And so I encourage you guys. Don't let another year go by tiptoeing around the presence and the grace and the love and the goodness and the mercy and the blessings of God. Because God is inviting all you guys in. All of us. Me too. I need it too. Amen? Amen. Father God, just